So I kind of want to explain to you um, where I was coming from when I put this sermon together. So I was thinking through a lot of different things, and there were basically three things that were on my heart and mind. One of them was that it was the end of the school year, and so a lot of you guys would be going home for the summer. One was Jesus, and just what an awesome servant Jesus is. And one was Mother's, because it was Mother's Day. And so I thought about the great opportunity that our students have during the summer to serve a different group of people and to serve in a different way. And I thought about the servant heart that Jesus shows us and asked myself why he came as a servant when he could have taken advantage of his status as Lord and King. He could have taken such a different approach than he did. And I thought about how on earth um, mothers are one of the best representations of serving like Jesus did. They serve at the most inconvenient times. They expect nothing in return. They're not resentful of any of it, but joyfully lay down their wants and needs for ours. And this morning, my husband asked me, what do you enjoy the most about being a mother? And so as I was thinking through and kind of talking through that question, one of the things I said to him was, it amazes me how my kids can ask or need anything, and it does not bother me a bit to go and do for them. And how much I really love that and enjoy that. And in other areas of my life, I can sometimes struggle with that. It's not as much fun for me. I'm not as willing to do it as I am for them. And so just thinking about how that I want to harness that um, joy of serving that I feel for my own children to use throughout the kingdom. So that's kind of all the thoughts that came together for this sermon this morning. So I've tried to incorporate this Um, all of these into the sermon. So I couldn't come up with a title. So if you're taking notes, don't write this down because it's going to sound like a Brad title. But it's basically four lessons we can learn from Jesus about serving and then examples from the lives of our mothers. I've asked a couple of people to share about their moms this morning. So we're going to start with Matthew 20, 20 through 28. And this is from the message. It was about that time that the mother of the Zebedee brothers came with her two sons and knelt before Jesus with a request. What do you want? Jesus asked. She said, give your word that these two sons of mine will be awarded the highest places of honor in your kingdom. One at your right hand, one at your left hand. Jesus responded, you have no idea what you're asking. And he said to James and John, are you capable of drinking the cup that I'm about to drink? They said, sure, why not? (laughs) Jesus said, come to think of it, you are going to drink my cup. But as to awarding places of honor, that's not my business. My father is taking care of that. When the ten others heard about this, they lost their tempers, thoroughly disgusted with the two brothers. So Jesus got them together to settle things down. He said, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around. How quickly a little power goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not be served, and then to give his 
give away his life in exchange for the many who are held hostage. So my first point is that serving requires some level of crazy. Um, When you look at Jesus' life and the fact that he was Lord and King and decided to come to earth and live as a servant, there's something just kind of crazy about that. When you look at the fact that in Mark 3, his family came to take charge of him because they thought he was out of his mind because of the amount of serving he was doing and because he didn't have time to stop and eat, he was serving so much. In 2 Corinthians 5.13, Paul says, If I acted crazy, I did it for God. If I acted overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. So we see that even Jesus' followers, the word crazy was attached to them as well. And then just looking at some of the things Jesus did. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. See, Jesus took the chance that that leprosy could be um, given to him. He took the chance that he would become unclean by touching him. He took the chance that other people would push him away because of his response to the leper. And in all of that is just a little bit of crazy. And then in Luke 7... A sinful woman anoints Jesus' feet. Now, Jesus is trying to build his ministry at this point, and I'm thinking that the best way to do that is not to let a former prostitute come in and wipe her, wipe your feet with her hair. That doesn't do a whole lot for your popularity, um, especially in the church crowd. But Jesus was willing to do that because it's what he does for us. It's what he did for all of us. And there's a little bit of crazy in that. So an example that I have of a mother is Mary Thomas. She was all of 5 foot 4 and 112 pounds on her best day. She was a single mom of nine children who lived on Chicago's west side neighborhood. Seven of her nine kids were boys. Let that sink in. (laughs) Seven of her nine kids were boys. Young men constantly stretching the boundaries of their tired mother's authority and patience. One day in 1966, Mary opened her front door to find 25 street thugs on her stoop. The men, members of the notorious Vice Lords gang, had come to recruit her seven sons. Mary, hearing their intentions, dropped her gaze and said, Oh, okay, hold on just a second, and closed the door. When the door opened again, the first thing the vice lord saw was the barrel of a loaded shotgun. (laughs) There's only one gang around here, and that's the Thomas gang, she said. With that same fortitude, Mary Thomas ushered each of her nine gang members to their high school graduation. Her youngest son was pro basketball player and Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas. There wasn't anything my mother wouldn't do for her family, her daughter said, but it wasn't only her kids. We didn't have anything ourselves growing up, but she would go over to the reform school near us on her own and bring those kids back home. We had more kids living at our house. If she had one bean left, she shared it. 
She worked at the youth center in the neighborhood, and when someone would run in to report trouble between gang members on the street, Mary wouldn't hesitate. My mother would come running out of the house and get right in between the gangs, her daughter said with a stifled laugh, and they had so much respect for her, they would listen. You know, it's funny, her son said. We look back on those times, and we just thought our mom was so courageous. But looking back now, you see how insane it was, (laughs) standing in front of bullets and gangs and everything else. There was just a certain amount of comfort we all got and the neighborhood got from having her in it. Not only was she the mother to us, but the mother to all the gangs, the mother to women on the street. See, if you look at her life, you see crazy in her actions. The way that she disregarded her own safety. Even though she had nine kids of her own, she didn't give the excuse, I don't have time or I don't have enough to serve and share with others. She loved and served anyway. And if we want to be like Jesus, we have to be a little bit crazy as well. At least crazy as the world defines it. So the second lesson that I saw was that we need to serve those who can't give back. And this has something to do, I think, with our motive in serving. In this Matthew 20 passage, Jesus calls his disciples together and gives them a principle. In the world, he says, the natural way of things is to seek authority, power, glory, and honor. In the world system, we should be expending as much energy as we possibly can to get to the top. But Jesus tells us and demonstrates for us that a different value should be at work among his followers. We should be people who seek to serve. In verse 26, Jesus says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. My boys know that saying back words and forwards because I used to tell them all the time the first shall be last and the last shall be first now that's an interesting word slave a slave is someone who really has no rights and no honor the whole purpose of the life of a slave is to serve his or her master and there is the problem with serving we like to be called servants But we don't like to be treated like servants. Servants are taken for granted. Servants are ignored. That is why when you're serving people, it's best to suppose that in the relationship, your call is to do the giving and to do more giving than you will receive. You ask, how can I tell if I have a servant attitude? By the way, you react when you're treated like one by your willingness to serve those who can't serve back. In Matthew 6, 1, Jesus said, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. See, if we're going to improve our ability to serve, we have to check our motive in serving. Do I really want to serve others for their benefit and because of my love for Jesus? Or is it because I want to be seen, I want to look good, or I want to get something in return? One way to curb our wrong motives in serving is to serve those who can offer nothing in return. In other words, we view our service to others first as service to Jesus. Then we don't worry about getting something back because we've already gotten everything we need from Jesus. 
We see this in Jesus' life as we see him serve those who can't give back. And a couple of examples that I found in scripture were one was Bartimaeus, who was a blind beggar. And Jesus gave him his sight back. This man was a beggar. What was he going to have to offer in return? See, Jesus wasn't serving him because of something he could give back. We also see it when Jesus was arrested in the garden. And one of the disciples pulled his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. His name was Malchus. And Jesus puts his ear back on. See, Jesus was about to be crucified, and he knew that. What was Malchus going to give back to him? There was nothing he could give back to him at that point in time. And then we see Jesus feeding the 5,000. These people were poor. They didn't have anything. There was nothing they could give him in return for what he did for them, but he served them anyway. And I had asked Oscar to share this morning about his mom and about how she served when he couldn't get back. But Oscar texted me this morning, and he's got a fever, and he's sick. So he couldn't be here this morning. So I'm improvising a little bit here. But I think that mothers are a great example of serving those who can't get back. Because as infants, what are we going to do back for them? They do everything for us. They feed us. They clothe us. They rock us. They hug us. They stay up all night with us when we're sick. And we can't do anything for them in return. Even as we get older, even today, what are we going to do in return for everything our moms have done for us? How are we going to repay that? There's no way to be able to do that. And so if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to serve people that can't serve us back. And then the third lesson that I see in the life of Jesus is that we have to serve even when it's hard. In this Matthew 20 passage, Jesus says he did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give away his life. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, this one I'm also reading from the message. It says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. If we're going to be a servant like Jesus, we have to know it will not always be easy, nor is it always going to bring joy to our lives. It costs something to be obedient even unto death. You'll serve someone, and they won't appreciate it. Instead, they'll push you away or take advantage of you. It's easy to take the attitude that I'll never open my heart up to that person again or to a person like that again. But to serve only when the response is positive is not Christ-like. That's not being like Jesus. We can't control what other people do with our service. Someone else's gratitude or growth cannot be our motivation. If that is the case, there will be many times of severe disappointment. Rather, we can expect disappointment, we can expect rejection, 
We can expect misuse and abuse of our servant heart because that's how Jesus was treated. But we serve anyway because our primary mission is to serve Jesus, not to be admired or thanked by people. Many times serving is hard because the person comes needing to be served at the most inconvenient time. It's the telephone call with a plead for help that comes right in the middle of something that we're doing that's important to us. Or it's the request that seems beyond our ability or our capacity to handle. Or it's the job that's easy and will help someone out, but we just flat don't want to do it. Being a servant is hard. It's part of our sinful nature to do things only if they have some side benefit for us. We don't want to give too much of ourselves away because, after all, we have other responsibilities. But if we only serve when it's convenient to us, we're not a real servant. Real servants do what's needed, even when it's inconvenient. So I ask myself, am I available to God any time? Can he mess up my plans without me becoming resentful? Ouch. As a servant, I don't get to pick and choose when or where I will serve. Being a servant means giving up the right to control my schedule and allowing God to interrupt it whenever he wants to. That is a hard lesson to learn, and it's something that I still am learning. If I will remind myself at the start of every day that I'm God's servant, interruptions don't frustrate me quite so much, because my agenda is going to be whatever God wants to bring into my life. It's hard, but I need to serve anyway. One other thing that I thought of um, when I was thinking about serving even when it's hard is that sometimes the people we seem to have the hardest time serving are the people closest to us. It's our parents. It's our siblings. It's our roommates. It's our housemates. And the irony of that is that they're often the people that serve us the most. So if you happily serve anyone and everyone else but neglect to serve those in your closest sphere of influence, I want to challenge you to change that. That's not okay. That's not being like Jesus. Those should be the people you serve first and best. It's your training ground for serving other people. If you don't do it well there, you won't do it well in other places. And so we see that Jesus served even when it was hard through several different examples. One is he healed ten lepers, um, and only one of them came back to tell him thank you. Only one of them appreciated what he did for them. All twelve of his disciples left him at the most crucial, painful, hard time in his ministry. Matthew 26, 56 says, Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. And I think it's easy for me to read that and read disciples, but really what that meant was his closest friends, the people he had spent the most time with. And that brings a whole different way of looking at it, a whole different feeling when the people you're closest to leave you at the hardest time in your life. And then a man that he spent so much time with for three years of his life betrayed him. He was someone that he considered part of his inner circle, someone that he considered his close friend, betrayed him. So where is God calling you to serve? Who is God calling you to serve? 
You see, the tough part about serving is that we have to make the choice over and over and over again to be a servant. And I asked Emily if she would come up and share about her mom and just how maybe a story from um, her life of how her mom served, even when it was really hard, or something that went along with that topic. All right, so I practiced this a few times this morning just so I could try and get out any crying that I would do this morning before I got up here because, one, I'm a really ugly crier, and two, it's really hard to understand me once I start. So I'm going to try to get through this without doing this. I'm just going to have to read it. And Hannah Mason, don't look at me because I'm okay. Um, okay, I had kind of a hard time coming up with just one story to share because I feel like almost all my life I've seen my mom. Hold on. <laughs> I've seen my mom demonstrate this. I have a hard time talking about my mom because um, she's had a really rough life. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. And um, it just makes me sad that even though I've been through a lot of the same things, it's uh, from a pretty different perspective, and our support systems looked really different. Okay, sorry. When I was nine, my dad passed away unexpectedly, leaving my mom to finish raising six girls, <laughs> six girls on her own. My sister was in college. My oldest sister was in college, and two of my other sisters were seniors in high school. But she still had a 13-year-old. <laughs> and I was nine, and my younger sister was three. Even through the chaos that was her life at that time, I never once saw my mom waver in her faith in God and continuing to instill that in us. Oh, I'm sorry. I never saw, I never once saw my mom, it's really hard to see through my dear, sorry. I never once saw my mom waver in her faith in God and continuing to instill in us that his plans were greater than ours. As we got older, my younger sister, my parents had adopted as a special needs child, began to have increasing medical problems. We went through years and years of trying to get her the medical treatment she needed. and essentially depleted all of our money and resources. It's much too long of a story to explain in this setting, but it basically came down to my mom eventually ending up having to sign away her rights as my sister's mother in order to get her the help that she needed. Having now lost her husband, almost all of her money, and a child, I think it would have been reasonable for her to be to feel helpless and abandoned by God. But I only ever saw her continue to go to the Lord to be her strength in each of those situations and still love and serve us and others in a way that reflected Christ. My mom is now in her late 60s, a time when most people look forward to as a time of retirement, being able to rest and spend time with loved ones. Thank you. Um, travel, spoil, grandkids, you fill in the blank. But my mom lives alone in a small apartment living paycheck to paycheck. However, instead of being bitter or upset about the situation of life she's in, she continues to thank the Lord for her blessings that he's given to her and make a life serving others. She's currently working 
as an activities director for an Alzheimer's unit at a nursing home, loving on those that are not only difficult to love, but often don't remember the love that they've shown. I feel really lucky to have a mom that's exemplified serving Christ, even while suffering. There's a quote by John Wesley that my family's kind of taken as our motto, because it's something that my mom's instilled in us, but it's do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. So I know Emily's mom, and I know Emily's story, and I knew when I asked her that it was going to be really hard for her to share this morning, but I also thought that you would be really blessed to get to hear about Emily's mom and her life and her faith in God and how she's continued to serve and continues to serve in the face of really difficult things. Emily, thank you for sharing. Okay, so the last point, the last lesson that I see is that Jesus served with what he had, and he expects us to serve with what we have. Servants don't make excuses. They don't procrastinate, and they don't wait for better circumstances. Servants never say one of these days or when the time is right. They just do what needs to be done. The Bible says if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. God expects you to do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Less than perfect service is always better than the best intention. Let me say that again. Less than perfect service is always better than the best intention. Jesus didn't let the fact that he didn't have a house keep him from being hospitable and keep him from including people. He didn't let the fact that he wasn't a wealthy man keep him from giving gifts to others. He gave people his time, his attention. He prayed for them. He washed feet. He touched the untouchable. He showed them God. He fed them. He respected them. He told them the truth. He loved and served them with what he had, and he didn't worry about what he didn't have. He didn't wait until he had more time or things settled down. See, we have a long list of excuses as to why I can't serve now, but I'll serve later. They include things like, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I'm too young. I'm too old. I need to get my career established. I need to get my life in order. And on and on and on the list of excuses goes. But those things do not excuse us from serving. Those things didn't stop Jesus from serving. We need to serve now and do the best with what we have. And by the way, faithful servants never retire. They serve faithfully as long as they're alive. You can retire from your career, but you should never retire from serving God. And I think it's kind of interesting and appropriate that I have a quote from John Wesley that I was going to read. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, as long as you ever can. And I asked Melissa to come and share about her mom along the lines of serving with what you have. 
Um, I wasn't going to cry, but Emily has ruined that for me. So I'm probably going to cry, and I completely blame her. So, um, so my mom absolutely served with what she had. Um, she worked really hard and put her th- herself through school at TWU, and she got a degree in occupational therapy. She's really, really smart. Um, she could have been a doctor, but she really wanted to have a family. So she decided to do something where she could help people, but also be able to spend a lot of time with her family. Um, I'm going to take off my glasses because then I can't see you all, and maybe I'll cry less. Um, so she got, a, she got a really good job, and she definitely made enough money to support our family, but due to some sort of unfair circumstances and a hard time in her marriage with my dad, um, they're still married and things are really good now, but... It was hard when we were younger. She basically was um, fighting to stay afloat financially and to raise us kind of alone. Not completely, but she didn't have much support from my dad. Um, Which, my dad is really great. It was just a hard time in his life. Uh, So, I remember our childhood as a time that was super fun. And she worked really, really hard to make sure that we felt like we had a really good life and we learned a lot and um, had a lot of fun, even though she was basically living paycheck to paycheck. And I think it would have been so easy for her to feel really bitter and frustrated and even leave my dad because that would have made her life easier. But she chose to stay with him and she chose... (laughs) to give us a good life instead of being bitter and resent, resentful towards everyone. Can you imagine working that hard and having a good job and being worried that you wouldn't be able to even feed your kids, even though you had a good paycheck? That was her life. But I don't remember that about my childhood. What I remember about my childhood was um, when we would go to the grocery store, we would play this game where we all had to add up how much money she was spending so she could do that herself, you know, and keep track of how much she was spending and if she was in her budget. But we thought it was a fun game. And we would always try to see who would win and be the best at math in our heads. We weren't allowed to use a calculator, even though she kept one in her purse. We had to use our minds. And um, she would, every Halloween would take us to this big free event at River Legacy Park. And it was this thing we did every year, and it was so cool. And um, I'm sure that she only did it because she didn't have a whole lot of money to do anything else. She made sure we went to the library every Saturday, which Chelsea Davis loves her for. <laughs> and we, that was one of the most exciting parts of our week. Um, she worked really, really hard to make sure that we had fun. And looking back, I, I was talking to her about this recently, <laughs> and I was like, how did you do it? How did you work so much and take care of us? She was like, well, I worked part-time. I said, you did? And she said, yeah, I went down to 35 hours. I was like, that is not part-time. <laughs> but she really absolutely worked with what she had, and she served us and made sure that we had a really, really good life. So when I think about that time in my life, I really just think about everything we did have. And not about what we didn't. And I think that's because my mom chose not to make excuses or take the easy way out. But to serve everyone she could with what she had. See, one of the great things about getting to spend time with so many different um, young ladies from our church especially is I get to know their moms. 
and I get to know them through their eyes, and I get to hear their stories, and I get to hear what amazing things that they've done for them. Thanks for sharing, Melissa. So I have a couple of challenges for you. The first one is for those of you that are going home this summer, and that are going to be around a different group of people, whether that's who you live with, whether that's what church body you attend, take advantage of the opportunity and serve those people that you don't often get an opportunity to serve. For the rest of you, summer is just kind of a different time. And there's a different feel, we do different things, and so most all of us have some different opportunities during the summer to serve. And I would encourage you to figure out, what is that? Where is it that you can serve and really make a difference? Because Jesus was about serving, and Jesus made a difference. And if we're going to call ourselves his disciples, we have to serve like he did. The third challenge I have for you this morning is mothers are biological, but we also have a lot of moms in our life that maybe aren't our biological moms. Maybe they're spiritual moms. Maybe they're neighbors who stepped into our life when our mom couldn't be a mom. Um, Maybe it's a professor at school. You know, we all have second moms, and some of us have moms that have taken over in place of biological moms. I want you to think today about how you see Jesus in the way that they serve you. And take time today or this next week to let them know if they're still living. Some of you, your moms have already passed away. But if your mom is still living, let her know the way you see Jesus in her. Let her know the way you appreciate what she does for you and that you see that and that it means something to you. Whether that's a text or that's a call or that's a written note. Take the time to do that. And all of us, whether our moms are living or have passed on, can take the time to thank God for them today and for the ways that we see Jesus and the ways that they served us. And we can all be that to someone else. Because whether or not you ever biologically have your own children, you will be a mother to somebody. It might be someone at your church. It might be a child in one of your classes. It might be someone at work, but there's going to be people that you can be that to. And we want to be a mother to other people like Jesus was a servant to us. So we're going to take the time to take communion. And I want you to thank Jesus for the specific ways he served you and continues to serve you. And respond by him by committing to serve others in the same way that he has served us. So I'm going to say a prayer. And if you haven't been here before, before we do that, though, I have to say that my mom is here this morning. And so I cannot just pass up the opportunity to say Happy Mother's Day to her. Raise your hand. So she hates attention, so I'm not going to bring her up here to stand by me because she would hate that. But I am going to say that I would not be who I am without my mom in my life. She prayed for me diligently. She pointed me to Jesus all of my life. Um, She has treated all of my children um, very, very special. And um, yeah, and I don't know what I would do without her. And I'm so honored to have her here today. And I love you, Mom. And then my sister is also here. And under the topic of serving when it's hard and when it's painful. And so all three of my boys live with her right now. 
And when Austin was, um, how old was he? Four. He broke his femur, and he was in a cast from his chest down to his toes. My sister has always been a second mom to my kids, and so he was having a hard time sleeping at night. He would get cramps, and it was really painful, and he would scream and cry, and we were exhausted. And so she said, let me come over and stay the night, and I'll get up with him. (laughs) So during the middle of the night, I hear this, Leslie! Leslie! And I go in the living room, and Austin, with his big old cast, has rolled off the couch on top of her because she was sleeping on the floor beside him. (laughs) And she couldn't move him. (laughs) So I went and rescued her. But she's a great example of serving, even when it's hard and painful. But I appreciate her being a second mom to my boys. So if you haven't been here before for communion, what we do is we have a cup that has grape juice and we have a tray that has bread and we just take the um, bread and dip it into the grape juice and that's the way that we take communion. And we take communion as a celebration and so um, we aren't silent and somber, but um, you know, there's a lot of laughing and giggling and hugging and loving and talking and catching up that goes on during our celebration of Jesus and the way that he served us and died for us. So let's pray together. Jesus, we're so thankful for the way that you serve us. We can't even imagine being a king and a lord as you are and choosing to come down and wash feet and serve people the way that you did. I pray that we can imitate that. I pray that we'll serve when it's hard. I pray that um, we'll be a little bit crazy I pray, God, that we'll, um, that we'll look for intentional ways to serve people who can't give back to us and that we'll do the best with what we have. Jesus, we love you so much, and we remember you, and we celebrate you, and we do everything we do for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.